crisis. This is the crisis. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. There's a blues artist named Robert Cray who sang a song with a line that says this, I know the difference between wrong and right. Don't make no difference in the middle of the night. Reminded me of kind of an old proverb that a lot of parents like to tell their kids, right? Nothing happens good after midnight, right? Nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody been told that? Yeah? Lived it? (laughs) There's a reason why most crime happens at night under the cover of darkness. So what effect does actual darkness have on human behavior? I I actually Googled that question and came across an interesting um, little study. It says this, in one study, participants entered a room as a group and took a test consisting of 20 difficult problems. When they got to the study, they were also given an envelope with an answer key to the test and money for a bonus. Participants were asked to score their own performance on the test and pay themselves 50 cents for each correct answer. They were to write the number of answers they got correct on the answer key and take the amount of money they were owed for their performance. I can tell you now, it had to be a kid because no adult's going to take a test for 50 cents a correct answer. But anyways, it didn't say the age of the participant. It says half of the participants in this study did the study in a well-lit room. The other half did the study in a poorly lit room. The people in the dimly lit room cheated more than those in the well-lit room. They took more money than they deserved, and they over-reported how many items they got correct. About 60% of the people in the dimly lit room cheated, but only 20% of the people in the well-lit room cheated. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? There's something about darkness that gives us this illusion that we're getting away with something, right? It's when our our self-centeredness is amplified. Maybe that's why Satan historically has been referred to as the prince of darkness, So right now, we're in a sermon series, as you can see on the screen, um, of the I am statements that Jesus makes in Scripture. Several times throughout Scripture, he says these things um, that reveal something about his character. And And then what that character trait is, what is calling us into. We've been taking a look at this. So we're not just looking necessarily at what he taught or what he did, per se, but we're actually taking a look at who he said he was. And then what the implications of those. Because in Jesus' time, everybody had an opinion on who he was. Everybody had their two cents on who this Jesus guy was. To the point where one day, you know, he sits his disciples down and he says, Hey, who do you guys say that I am? Right? So starting in John chapter 6, and over the next several chapters, Jesus just kind of says, Well, let me tell you who I am. And he makes seven I am statements where he takes that phrase, I am, which is a word that God used way back in the burning bush with Moses. He calls himself, I am. I'm all-sufficient. I'm all-powerful. I'm eternal. And then he attaches something to it that's kind of common imagery. Last week, we looked at the first one that he said, I am the bread of life. In other words, Jesus used this common imagery of bread to communicate to his audience that only he could satisfy their deepest longings, just what we sang about a moment ago. 
And then we ask the question, do you know the Jesus who is bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. They'll never go hungry for love, for purpose, for meaning, for grace, for peace, for love, or whatever our deepest needs and desires are. Those things can only be found in Christ, the bread of life. That's what we looked at last week. So this week, we're going to be taking a look at Jesus' second I am statement in the book of John. And again, he uses common everyday imagery to kind of reveal a facet of his nature. But the one that he chooses today that we're going to look at was loaded with controversial connotations. Okay, he knew when he said this, there were going to be some people fired up. Okay, so we're going to take a look at why some of the religious leaders of his day. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. It's page 974 in your pew Bibles. John 8, we're going to look at verse 12. It says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he's immediately interrupted and challenged by the Jewish religious leaders of the time called the Pharisees. So why did what he said strike a nerve with the Pharisees? Well, it would have, been, it would have taken any Jew back to the very beginning lines of Scripture, the first book of the Bible. And if you were around a year ago, we looked at this series called Jesus in Genesis and looked at like evidence of Christ from the very beginning of time. Okay, so I want you to just hold your finger there and then flip back to Genesis chapter 1. The first three lines of Scripture says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be light. That happened on day one. Does anybody remember from our study last year when the sun and the moon were created? What day? You got a one in seven chance. Day four. Day four, the sun and the moon are created. Day one, light is created. So what's the source of light? It has to be Christ, right? So later on in Scripture in the Old Testament, Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So by saying, I am the light of the world, what was Jesus claiming? Raise your hand. What was he claiming by saying that? Yeah. That he was God. Yeah. What else? What's wrapped up into that, I guess? Yes. He's always existed from the beginning of time. He's timeless. What else? Who is he specifically uh, of of the Trinity? (laughs) 
He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of Scripture. Okay? So, now, remember, we talked about this at the beginning, that um, these I am statements that Jesus made are inflammatory. Okay? They would have really upset some people because to the Jews, only God could make these claims. So, you're either really God or you're blaspheming God. Okay, and if you blaspheme God, the Old Testament says your punishment is to be stoned to death. Okay, so that's why Jesus is often run out of town and often kind of being chased around and, and running from before his life at times. You can imagine what it was like for them to see this guy who they considered a nobody, Jesus of Nazareth, some podunk town off in the sticks. You're coming and you're saying you're God, you're the light of the world. Come on. Now, if you go back to Scripture, so back in, in John, look at John chapter 1. Okay, John was one of Jesus' disciples. And he makes Jesus' identity very clear from the very beginning. John 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light. That's a really ex exclusive claim, isn't it? He doesn't say, I'm a light of the world. He doesn't say, I'm one of the lights of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. So what does that mean? It means if we're going to have any light, clarity, truth, understanding in this world, it's going to be Jesus. That's it. Not science, not reason, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other created thing or person. Christ alone is the light. There are only two kingdoms in this world, two roads. One that leads to light and life and everything else that leads to darkness and death. In Colossians, Paul talks about this transferring of kingdoms. Look at uh, chapter 1. Verse 13 and 14 says this, Paul writes, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So those of us who are Christ followers were brought out of this dominion of darkness, this way of trying to navigate life without any ultimate truth as kind of our, our anchor, our compass, Okay. And it's like this. How many of you guys have ever been in one of those laser tag dark rooms like, that's kind of set up like a maze, okay? If you haven't, it's very disorienting. You know, people are trying to shoot you and you're running into walls. You can't see anything. So just picture, if you will, those things are maybe 40 by 40, 50 by 50, pretty small. I want you to imagine that I took 10 of you and blindfolded all of you and dropped you into one of those rooms, but it was really like a mile by a mile. 
So infinitely bigger and more complicated in terms of the maze, pitch black. And I said, there's a door somewhere that leads out of here. Find it. And then I started the timer. If one person in your group at that moment said, I know the way, follow me, don't follow them. They have no clue where they're going, right? That would be foolish. But if I gave one person a flashlight and said, hey, you can take your blindfold off, and that person said to everybody else in the group, hey, follow me. (laughs) I've got a light. I'll get us out of here. You'd be wise to listen to that person, wouldn't you? Or else you're just going to be banging into walls and staying lost for a long time. Apart from the light of Christ, no one knows the way to true abundant life in this world. And if they tell you that they do, they're deceiving you. And there are lots of people right now who have made money and will make money in the future writing books about how you can have life apart from Christ in this world. You might have a taste of joy and happiness following their steps, but you will not have ultimate life. If Christ says, I alone am the light, then we have to take him at his word. And we have to find out more about who is this guy who makes this claim. And have I been trying to find it in something else? When we are brought out of darkness into light, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this, but when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. The veil is removed. It's kind of like before Christ, we've been kind of looking at life through this foggy curtain. (laughs) And and we come to Christ and it's like the clouds part. And we can begin to see the world for what it really is. And we can begin to see people for who they really are and ourselves for who we truly are. And we're no longer deceived by darkness because light reveals things, right? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the fewer lights I want above my bathroom mirror. Because in the shadows, man, I still look good. Huh? You know what I mean? But when you put more wattage in those bulbs, all of a sudden you're like, ah, lines, saggy things, you know? It's not pretty. It can be ugly at times. But you know what? Sometimes it's really good to have a very clear image of where you are. Because what if in the dim lights, there was like a cancerous mole on my face that I couldn't see because I wasn't willing to see reality. And only in the bright light could I see this thing that could be fatal for me. Light reveals And sometimes it reveals things about us that we really don't want to accept, but they're true. And it's really important for us to to deal with reality instead of this facade that we kind of convince ourselves might be true. So what are the implications of Jesus being the light of the world? Well, first he's talking about illumination. So when we become a follower of Christ... The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and lives in us. And it says that he gives light to our eyes. And so that when we read scripture now, it starts to jump off the page at us. 
and we start to understand some things that maybe we haven't understood before because we didn't have the presence of the Spirit helping us understand and translate what that means for my life. And so there's an intellectual enlightening that happens, but there's also this heart illumination that happens, right? Our, our, there's an emotional illumination where the truths of his love and grace and mercy for us grip us in a way that they never had before that we never understood. It's why sometimes when we come to church, especially in the beginning of our journey, that sometimes we find ourselves weeping. We're singing these songs and the truth that's being communicated in those songs is hitting us in just waves like it's never, we've never understood before. The depth of forgiveness and healing and love that God has for us. I've talked to many of you before who are like, man, I don't know. Like the first couple months I came here, every Sunday we were singing and I'm just weeping and I can't stop crying. (laughs) I remember what that was like and it happens to me all the time when I'm reminded and I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness to us. So part of his light is, is this emotional enlightenment as well. And now I want to share with you the most challenging implication of Jesus being the light of the world. And that's this. It means that nothing is hidden from him. It means that there's no secrets before God. All of us, in in, in the light of God's presence, we are all stripped bare. We're out there. He knows everything about us. And that can be unnerving if we want it to be. Or we can see the goodness of that truth. And the goodness of that truth is that despite it all, he still loves us. He knows everything. And he is the only one that can make that claim. Because I'm going to tell you this. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are things, thoughts primarily, that I don't tell my wife. There are thoughts that I don't tell my friends. Certainly, I don't stand up here on Sunday morning and tell you. Because there's a really uh, legitimate fear in me that if you knew how dark my thoughts are sometimes, that you would be disgusted with me. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he knows it all, and he loves me anyways. Because you guys know, some of you guys have been following Christ. For, I mean, I've been a Christian for 31 years, and, and there's this shame piece in me that's like, man, shouldn't I be better than this? Shouldn't I be past this? This greed, this envy, this lust, this gossip, this pride, And so there's a shame that comes with that that sometimes we don't want to share that with others. It's like, man, they're probably thinking that Bob was better than that. I'm not. Trust me. I'm much, much worse. Seinfeld reference, anyways. Um, King David, you guys have heard of him, you know, slayed Goliath and all that stuff. He knew what it meant to be broken. After years of serving God faithfully and writing all kinds of 
psalms and hymns and worshiping him and doing so many amazing things. He had a season in his life where he fell and he fell hard. And he had an affair, was an accomplice to murder, lied, tried to cover it up. It was ugly. But he also knew that nothing was hidden from God. Psalm 139, verse 11 and 12, we sing a song about this. We just sang it last week. He wrote this, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What's he saying? He's saying that there, there are no shadows, no hiding places from God. Secrets are an illusion. But many of us live this double life. We live this life where we know we're broken, but we're too afraid to come clean. So not only do we not confess, but we actually double down on our lies to cover our tracks. And we retreat into darkness behind walls of guilt and shame, going so far sometimes as to jeopardize our marriage our friendships, our bank account, our careers. And guys, we weren't meant to handle that. Some of you guys right now are texting or emailing people that you know you shouldn't be. Some of you guys right now are keeping secrets about your finances, possibly from your spouse, about debt you've accrued that you're ashamed of, that you don't want to tell them about. Some of you might be suffering from an eating disorder that you don't want to share with other people. Some of you might be addicted to things that you're ashamed of, alcohol, prescription pills, gambling, subtler things like vindictiveness, an unforgiving heart. And it's eating you alive. And here's what I want you to hear, because we've all been there, is that you were not created to live a double life. You were not created on the one hand to have to deal with this false self that you're projecting to the world and the people around you, where you're trying to hide and kind of put this mask on and make everybody else believe that things are okay when it's really not. And then also deal with your true self and just as any human, the warts and scars that we have just as human beings. You were not meant to carry those things. That burden is too much to deal with. And that's what the cross of Christ was all about. Because he met us there. He met us in our darkest moments. And he said, you know what? You cannot handle that guilt and shame. And so I'm going to take that from you if you're willing. I'm going to put it on my shoulders and I'm going to pay the price for it. So that if you come to me, you can receive forgiveness and healing. And you can be free from those things. And when he had finished his work on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's finished. 
You don't have to hide and pretend any longer. If you look back at John chapter 8, I'm going to give you a moment to breathe now, all right? Because as I'm writing this, I'm thinking, this is really heavy, (laughs) okay? Because if we're not feeling guilty now, we've felt guilty before, okay? All of us in the boat here have heard this and the Spirit convict us, okay? So I want you to look at John chapter 8. We started in verse 12. What happened right before Jesus said, I'm the light of the world? Who can summarize what happened? The woman that was caught in adultery. Okay? So in this story, starting in John chapter 8, verse 1, a woman is pulled out of bed with a man, brought into public where Jesus is teaching. And they said, hey, this woman is caught in adultery. What should we do? Everybody there, including Jesus, knew the Old Testament punishment for committing adultery is to be stoned to death. So everybody listening is standing there with their rock, ready to go, waiting for the signal from Jesus, right? This famous story where he says, hey, whoever has, is without sin can cast the first stone. Remember this? And it says, starting from the oldest down to the youngest, they began to drop their rocks and walk away. And in that moment, this woman hadn't said anything. She hadn't repented. She hadn't confessed. She hadn't come clean. Jesus lifts up her chin and says, does nobody condemn you? Then neither do I. And he says, go now and sin no more. He meets her in that moment. And that grace was extended before she even came clean. And that's a powerful testament to the grace and the mercy of God for us. Now, guys, I'm going to finish here with an illustration. Now, just be honest with you. I got it from somebody else. Okay, so I'm studying, reading, and I came across this, and I was like, man, this is really good. So I'm going to share it with you. So here's the deal. Secret unconfessed sin is going to end one of three ways. Way number one, you come clean and you take the off-ramp of confession. And it's going to be painful and ugly and most likely pretty embarrassing. But if you do that, you can immediately, through the grace and forgiveness of God, begin experiencing freedom and joy at not having to live that double life any longer and, and knowing how loved you are despite it, okay? So that's best case scenario. You rat yourself out. Or number two, God in his mercy will out you. You'll get busted, just like the the woman caught in adultery was. Anybody here been busted by God before? Like, you didn't fess up, but bam, you got busted. Yep. Thank you for being honest. Right? My son, Zach, he had a heck of a freshman year of high school. He got outed several times, you know? You'd have those weekends and... and, uh, 
Trevor's smiling because he was an accomplice to some of these crimes over here, right? You know, you're a parent, and, and he's our oldest, so this is the first time we're going through this teenage stuff. And I mean, I had, you know, we had a group of parents that, like, we were in it together, right? So we get a text or a call from this parent and say, hey, you know, did you know Zach was over at this house on Friday night with these people, and they were doing this? And he wasn't really doing much of what was going on, but he just shouldn't have been there. And I was like, no, we didn't know that. So, you know, my wife and I would go down to his room, sit him down, and say, hey, tell us about Friday night. You know, well, man, isn't it fun to be a parent sometimes? You're just like turning the screws like, man, you know you're busted. Let's see how honest he's going to be. So, you know, he would try to deny it and blah, blah, blah. I don't know what you're talking about. And then be like, well, we just got this call from so-and-so saying that you were here and they were doing this, this, and this. Is this true? And so eventually, you know, you get around to the point after, well, they just kind of come clean. But we would always finish that conversation with him you know, after maybe we had to dole out some punishment by saying this, man, God must really love you that he brought this out into the light before it got too bad. That he didn't allow this to stay in the darkness and continue to be disruptive and destructive to your life. I don't know that he saw it as God's love for him, but we sure did. So that's two options. You can either come clean or he'll bust you or the worst possible scenario is that God in his wrath will just turn you over to your sin and just let it go. And that is not a place you want to be. And if you want to read more about that, read Romans chapter 1. Paul does a very good job of explaining what that looks like. But it's not a place you want to be. And I have sat across from friends in my life, who have been in places of darkness and denial and lies, and in such a fog that I don't even recognize who they are, who I'm talking to right now, because <laughs> they do not want to hear what I have to say, even though they should know that I love them and care about them and want the best for them. They just want to do what they want to do, and it is bad and ugly and scary and none of us are immune to ending up there if we hide out long enough I am the light of the world Jesus is the only light there is no other source of life there are no secrets that we can keep from him but in the midst of that truth he reaches out to us and meets us with unbelievable compassion and extends his hands of grace and he says, come on, man, let's get out of this pit. I've got a light. We're going to shine it. We're going to get out of this cave you put yourself into. You're better than this. Stop living this lie. Stop being chained to guilt and shame. Let's go. Let's move forward. Let's get out of this stuff. He meets us there. Guys, when the scripture says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, he means it. Jesus is trying to give us a warning. <laughs> but then he's saying, me, the light of the world, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Trust me. And guys, there might be people in here right now today that might be thinking, you know what? I, this doesn't speak to me. I don't have any unconfessed sin or anything that I'm really worried about this morning. 
I've been elbowing the person next to me who should be getting the picture, right? But let me just ask you this question or, or maybe kind of give you something that, that gives you some responsibility. Is that all of us are people who are around others. If it's not us, then we're around others who are either coming clean, taking that off-ramp of confession, or they have been busted by God, and so their stuff's out there and they can't hide anymore. And so my question for all of us this morning as a church community is that when that happens to people around us that God has put on our path, do they find a person of grace and mercy in us? And do we go beyond just dropping the rock of judgment and condemnation? Because that's easy, relatively, compared to actually embracing them and saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you through the process of healing and reconciliation. I'm invested in your healing process. Because that's a different level of commitment and love. Because, guys, we're, 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 we're in those camps our whole life. We're either, you know, we've got unconfessed, unrepented sin that's stirring in us, or we're helping other people deal with their sin. And sometimes, usually, it's happening both at the same time. It's this bloody mess. We're a mess. They're a mess. Everyone's a mess, mess, right? And how are we going to be in those times? Are we going to be people who are light and love to others? And I, I fully realize this morning that, that the Holy Spirit, through me, has potentially pushed on some painful things here today. That there might have been some things that I mentioned that you're like, ooh, has he been reading my diary? <laughs> or maybe I didn't quite nail it on the head, but you get the point. And you've got an option for what you're going to do as you leave here today. And if you're courageous and uh, okay with just coming up and talking to me afterwards, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you want to confess some things to me, I'd hear it in love. If you want to email or text me this week and say, hey, I couldn't stick around, but here's what's going on, I want to help you get out of the darkness and begin to experience some freedom. Okay, so I just want you to know that that invitation, that offer is there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are light, and God, that, that there, is, there are no secrets before you. I'm grateful.